this is Tales of the Old Burying Ground. Stories inspired by the Dartmouth College Cemetery. From Dartmouth Public Radio, I'm Iker Aguirre, and today is a special anniversary episode. It's been more than 100 years since the Christie Warden murder that shocked Sleepy Hanover. Through the decades, we at DPR have covered the event twice before, first in 1920, then 1950. We're going to revisit the murder coverage and play you some clips from old episodes. Here's one from that first 1920 broadcast. Straight out of a dime novel, The Murder of Vale Hill, a dark, sprawling tale starring the buxom, beautiful daughter of a farmer and the amorous farmhand who stole her heart. Beneath the stern, controlled facade of our puritanical upbringing, the banked fires of hate, jealousy, greed, and pure cussedness have sometimes flared up. In the winter of 1890, Andrew Warden, the richest farmer in Hanover, found himself in a bit of a bind. He was low on labor when a young man named Frank Warden arrived, seeking employment. Andrew had a daughter, Christy. She was, by all accounts, an extremely respectable young lady. She was smart, bookish, and had discreet manners that belied her finely rounded form. Christy, just 21, was drawn to Frank, who carried himself like a charming southern gentleman. It was a romance straight out of a dime novel. At night, they were an unbeatable team at cards. In the morning, they fried griddle cakes together, the picture of domestic bliss. Drawn closer by their mutual love of literature, they read numerous books, together perusing the pages of The Last Days of Pompeii. Tell me, Clodius, hast thou ever been in love? Hast thou that feeling which the poets describe, a feeling that makes us neglect our suppers, forswear the theater, and write elegies? When, at a box social in April, Christy refused to have dinner with Frank in front of others, he was infuriated. Frank raised his hand at the poor damsel. Terrified by this glimpse of the demon that lurked within Frank, Christie immediately went to her father and asked that Frank be fired. Farmer Warden promptly drove Frank to the station for a train to Massachusetts, where he left with tears in his eyes, unable to see Christie one last time before he left. The Warden family breathed a sigh of relief, thinking they had been rid of an evil. Unfortunately, they were wrong. The moment Frank arrived in Massachusetts, he was already plotting his return to the Warden Farm. He showed half a dozen people a picture of Christie, saying, That's my girl. If I can't have her, then no man will. On the way back, Frank brought Christie a book, Rudyard Kipling's The Light That Failed. Perhaps he hoped Christie would take to heart Kipling's words, You must learn to forgive a man when he's in love. He's always a nuisance. He also brought two revolvers. In the dark of night, Christy and her sister walked Lime Road, 
Frank Almy emerged from the shadows and dragged Christy away as her sister screamed in vain. As Christy disappeared, she could be heard crying, Help! He's ripping off my clothes! And then, Frank shot Christy Warden twice. Once between the legs, and then once in the head. Although Frank was eventually tried and hanged, the damage had been done. Christie's father died of grief months after his daughter's horrendous murder, and the town of Hanover has never been the same since. And for years after, boys, yes, even grown men, approached their familiar barns with wary eyes upon the towering hay mows. Women gathered eggs around the farm quickly and never alone. And for miles around, no woman or girl would walk the country roads alone in daylight, to say nothing of after darkness had fallen. From this day on, the people of Hanover will live in fear of the dark. For you never know when the latest demon will be lurking in the shadows waiting to prey upon their innocence. So, that was Dartmouth Public Radio's 1920 coverage of the Christie Warden murder. Thirty years later, our program once again revisited this murder, albeit with a new perspective. Much has been said of Frank Almy, the famous murderer who cast a shadow of fear on Hanover. Today, on the 60th anniversary of his execution, we come to you with the unvarnished truth of who Frank Almy was. A complicated, mysterious man, he wrestled with the demons of his darker nature throughout most of his life. He was born in the direst of conditions. As he grew up, he strove to become more than the measly sum total of what life had given him. At times, he succeeded. In the end, he did not. He had his demons, like we all did, and in the end, his love for a woman destroyed him. Such is the tragedy of the self-made American man. Our very own station covered Frank's gruesome murder of his once lover. That version, nearly 30 years ago, was simplistic and did not do justice to all the parts of who Frank was. Frank was born an orphan, raised by parents who were not his own and who often beat and neglected him. Frank was a sensitive soul, Always prone to love, he was kicked out of his boarder's home for falling in love with his landlady's young daughter. When he met Christy, he fell immediately for her wily feminine charms. He wrote her love letters and poetry. He kept an old glove of hers with him wherever he went. He even did the dishes for her, as if he were some smitten help. Alas, their love was doomed. As it always seemed to do, his past caught up to him. The wardens did not think he was good enough for their little girl, and informed Christy accordingly. She wrote him a letter. Dear friend, to be honest with you, I think you should know how I feel toward you. You have set yourself in defiance of God and man. You have not gained my highest regard or respect, nor that of my relatives and friends. Frank, I shall test the strength of your love. Can you open your heart to all good influences, practice a rigid self-control, and wait patiently? If it is ever so, I believe you must win in the end, for I admire you and still cannot help liking you with all your faults. Frank's demons, as we know, unfortunately got the best of him at the box social. And so, 
Without so much as a chance to speak to the love of his life, Frank was banished from the warden's home. On the way back, Frank brought Christy a book, Rudyard Kipling's The Light That Failed. Perhaps he hoped Christy would take heart to Kipling's words. You must learn to forgive a man when he's in love. He's always a nuisance. And he was in love with her. On that fateful night in Tempe Hill, Frank had never intended to murder the love of his life. Even after that fateful day, Frank didn't escape like he should have. He hid in the Warden family barn and watched Christie's funeral from a crack in the wall. He would emerge to lay flowers at her grave every night. Frank Almy spent his last days in much the same way he'd spent his time with Christie, reading. He read Francis Hodgson Burnett's The Light That Failed. The book is an autobiographical memoir, but Burnett writes about her childhood self as if she is a separate entity. Perhaps that's how Frank felt. Separated from himself, split into two between who he could be and who he was. And that was our episode on the Christie Warden murder that aired in October of 1950. We'll now be taking a couple of listener calls. Hey, Aika, long-time listener, first-time caller. So both of these episodes have been centered on Frank himself, which is funny considering these episodes are supposed to be all about the Chrissy Warden murder. So do you think another episode could actually be more about Chrissy Warden herself? I don't think we could do that. We simply don't have enough information on a 20-year-old girl who was alive in the late 19th century. In the end, there's very little that we know about Christy Warden other than that Frank Almy loved her, she was worthy of that love, and that he killed her. That kind of sucks. I agree. Most of who Christy was is lost forever. What we do have on Christy is inextricably tied to Frank himself. Because what we have left are the stories that choose to focus on Frank more than Christy. What we can change, though, is how we tell stories today. If we can tell stories in ways that put girls at the forefront, then the girls of tomorrow can be part of history in ways that do justice to the fullness of who they are. Tales of the Old Burying Ground is funded by the Dartmouth College 250th Celebration. Executive produced by Ilana Grellard and Colleen Goodhue. With original music by Bill Gezi. Voice acting by Iker Aguera, Loriston Fennell, Morgan Gelber, David Williams, and Tehut Biru.